That time for the Word of God this morning. If you'll open your copy of the Scripture, Second Timothy chapter 4. This morning we intend to exposit the first four verses from Paul's last epistle that was God-breathed. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I want to read these uh, verses in your hearing to remind you, set them in your thinking as we begin to unfold them here momentarily. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. I'm using as a subject uh, for these verses preaching the word in difficult times. A practicing psychologist uh, from San Francisco came to R.C. Sproul after a ministry session and was very upset. She told Dr. Sproul this, quote, I've come to the place where I am convinced that our minister is doing everything he can to conceal the real nature of God from us in his preaching. He's so afraid that the preaching of the gospel might offend somebody or that the setting forth of the character of God in his holiness, sovereignty, justice, and wrath will make people uncomfortable and cause them to leave the church. I go to church, he continued, to hear a word from God, and I am starving to death in my church. End of quote. That woman expressed what every Christian needs from his or her pastor. Christians need to be fed the word of God. Scripture preached is the food for our regenerated souls. We need it for our spiritual health. We need it for our spiritual vitality. Any time that any believer goes into a church, on the menu prominently should be the preaching of the word. You get fed here. You get fed divine truth. You get fed divine instruction. That's what every believer needs. The pastor preacher, therefore, must deliver the word of God, and he must do so unedited. He is not to edit God, leave out things, not say that. He's not to avoid difficulties in his preaching. He just needs to give it as God has given. For, in fact, the pastor is nothing more than a, divine, a mouthpiece for the Lord. He has, in fact, been appointed by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver, thus saith the Lord. Now, the text before us is a clear enunciation of that very things I've just said and the very thing that was missing in the life of this woman who complained to R.C. Sproul. The text before us not only told Timothy what he was to do with respect to the word of God, but it also informed the church at Ephesus where he led and pastored what God requires of pastors. And that's good. You, you really need to know 
That's why it's here. You need to know what the preacher is supposed to do. The church needs to know the charge. They need to, it needs to understand what God has charged the pastor to do. That way, a church can hold a pastor accountable for whether he is doing or not doing what God has commanded relative to his word. Amen? Amen. You know, the text before us, uh, we, we will examine uh, a part of the pastor's job description. Preaching the word of God is the ch- is chief among a pastor's divinely assigned duties. Chief. It, it is obvious, isn't it? After all, since we need the feeding of the word of God for our spiritual life and vitality, for our spiritual health, would not that make sense that then that we would get that as a chief responsibility from the one whom God has placed to deliver his word? In fact, it's it's serious. It's very serious. Very serious. It's a matter of utmost seriousness. That's why we say here in the first two verses, I call it the order to preach. The order to preach. There in the text, though, Paul says, I solemnly charge you. Uh, He says those words, and they're really not ultimately his words. They are uh, come ultimately from the Lord. They are the words that the Lord once said through Paul to Timothy and by extension to every other pastor who will ever stand in a pulpit. I solemnly charge you. You see, Paul was an authorized representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was writing to Timothy what the Lord Jesus Christ wanted Timothy to know and what the Lord Jesus Christ wanted, wants me to know and every other preacher who stands in a pulpit who's ordained of God, called of God and what every preacher after me is to know until Jesus comes, the word of God. I solemnly charge you. So we, have to, we know what he wants. The word solemnly, it means serious. The charge is a weighty matter. A weighty matter. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's very, very serious in the mind of God, in the mind of Christ. In fact, that word charge, there is a directive or a forceful order. A forceful order. Paul was doing this as an authorized representative, as an apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ, forcefully ordering Timothy, this is what you're to do. Now, the solemnity of the directive to Timothy, the solemnity of the uh, forceful order to him and all pastors is underscored by three realities, three realities that are found in this first verse. Before he actually gets to uh, the imperative there in verse two, he lays out three things that really should motivate any pastor, motivate any preacher. Now, let's look at them here first of all he is charging him in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus there are two witnesses presented here two witnesses two eyewitnesses two individuals who two persons who are observing the ministry and hearing the charge all pastors minister under the scrutiny of these divine witnesses The omnipresence and omniscience guarantees that there is no moment, no hour, or day, or sermon that escapes 
the scrutiny of God and Christ. They're eyewitnesses to it all. Think about it. Right now, as I'm delivering this to you, guess who's observing? He is seeing it all. We don't think about that a lot of times. We may know in our mind theologically that God is omnipresent, that he is omniscient, you know, Christ sees it all. He walks through the church, the candlesticks, remember Revelation 3. But we really don't ever pause to think, you know, that's true. He knows. He sees. He scrutinizes. He doesn't miss anything. He sees it all. He's an eyewitness. Eyewitness. So there is no escaping heavenly scrutiny. None. The pastor preacher is preaching in the presence of Christ. And that's uh, really, it's kind of scary actually. Because you know, every, everything you say, everything you, you claim that God says, he, he is listening. It's so serious, in fact, that's why James 3 says, not, let not many of you be teachers because you incur a stricter judgment. Speaking of judgment, it's the second of the three realities here in our text. It says about Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Now, you need to understand something. All judgment has been given to Christ by God the Father. James chapter 5 tells us this. He will judge all Christians. He will judge non-Christians. He will judge the living and he will judge the dead. There is no one who will not stand before Jesus Christ and he judge them. Not a single person on the planet. Everyone who's already dead, everybody who's going to die, and everybody who'll be living when he comes back, guess who? They're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand something here. Let me add it right now that believers' judgment is different from the unbelievers' judgment. The unbelievers' judgment is for condemnation to eternal damnation. All unbelievers, they will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will tell them of their sins the books will be open and he will dismiss them to eternal punishment their lack of faith in him their no saving faith their evil deeds indicate their unsaved condition their rebellion against him and he will sound wrath the believer's judgment on the other hand is a judgment for reward it's for reward he will scrutinize the believer's life and he will see where the believer lived faithfully for him. He'll see how the believer did and served him in the church and in the world at large in the name for the name of Christ and the cause of Christ and be rewarded. That's a vast difference. It's not about condemnation, eternal damnation for us. We're already saved, right? You ought to say amen to that. You do know that. You're not going to face eternal damnation if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, what can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing, nothing. We're united to him forever, inseparably united to him. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Our salvation is utterly secure. Now, relating this to the pastor, preacher, Timothy, Paul, and all other pastor preachers, you can put my name in there. We will stand before him and give account of our service. In fact, it's reward. That's what I just said a moment ago in the bottom, um, well, in my page, verse 8. 
It says, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is talking about the righteous judge is none other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to grant to believers the crown of righteousness, the crown which is righteousness. That's what the genitive means in the Greek, crown which is righteousness, meaning eternal righteousness. Right now, let me just throw this out. We have imputed righteousness that came at the moment of belief in Christ. We, are ha- we have sanctifying righteousness we're growing practically more righteousness righteous but at that moment on that day jesus christ will grant to us eternal righteousness a reward grant to us that's what we're looking forward to that's what every christian what every pastor will receive now let me tell you back up in our verse here it's interesting verse one the text says, who is, who is. Those two words, I want to focus on them for a moment because you won't know this otherwise. It, those two words render a single term from the Greek text that can be translated this way, to be about to. It's like Jesus is being about to judge one commentator says the language signifies a halfway station between the future and the present another commentator puts it like this in a sense even now his footsteps can be heard may I put it like this he's on his way that's what the text is conveying you know Jesus could come at any moment who is his coming is imminent. His coming for the church of the rapture is imminent. At any moment it could come. He's, in a sense, on his way. In fact, the language here uh, that Paul uses in sharing this with Timothy is emphatic. Emphatic. So pastors must bear in mind that the all-knowing observer of their ministry is coming to render judgment. He will hold the pastor preacher accountable the most dominant force in the preacher's life and ministry is revelation or the realization that he will one day give an account to God serious ministry is motivated by that weighty responsibility end of quote that was a compelling motivation for, for uh, Timothy knowing Timothy you're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ just like every other Christian. And I need, to, I need to say that again, like every other Christian, right? We'll give an account. It's compelling, compelling motivation for the man of God. So we see his presence, our omniscience, Christ coming in judgment. Those are two things. There's a third reality we find in this verse here. And we, we see it in the words and by his appearing and his kingdom his appearing and his kingdom the second and third motivations are clearly linked appearing there's a Greek term that literally means a shining forth 
The term appearing in the Greek is a word used only by Paul in the New Testament. In fact, he uses it six times. Four of them relate to Christ coming to take Christians to be with himself at the rapture of the church. His appearing means he's come, shining forth, he's coming, and he's going to take us to be with himself. Four of those times. Used here. It's used in 1 Timothy 6.14, 2 Timothy 4.8, and Titus 2.13. He's coming. He's appearing. That's what he's going to do is judging generally. That's when he'll judge us at the, the Bama seat, 2 Corinthians 5.10, or the judgment seat of Christ. But when he returns... At the second aspect of his coming, coming to earth to judge, Christ will establish his kingdom on earth. This is important for any pastor, preacher, any saint who's not a pastor, preacher, just another one of Christ's servants. Christ will reign in glory and power as king of kings. For a millennium or a thousand years, he will rule in absolute authority and righteousness over this planet. Uh, that, that just I can't wait I can't wait often I think Lord come so you can take the reins of power put down evil and show the world how a righteous kingdom righteous rule is executed and guess what he's going to do that and nobody will be able to stand against him you raise your hand you'll do it one time Amen. Said none of that. Uh, That won't happen. That'll be squelched. Jesus, no, 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 no. I'm here, and I don't think it'll take very long for people to realize. Uh oh, we're dealing with somebody who's got some power, absolute power and authority, and is righteous. Righteous. He is coming, and he's going to rule here. During that earthly reign, and this is the wonderful reality about it, saints will be given responsibilities in that kingdom, his earthly kingdom. And it'll be based on our faithfulness in this lifetime. How you serve Christ now. Remember the parable of the talents? Matthew 25, 19 to 23, those particular verses, right? Well done, good, and faithful. Absolutely. By the way, the word is slave. Slave. So I ain't calling me no slave. I hear hear somebody say, let me tell you something. Yes, you are. Either you're a slave to sin or Christ. Uh, People like, I'm getting off here. People like this, uh, they think they're autonomous. No, you're not. We're not autonomous, no self-law. We are slave either to sin before salvation or we're slave to Jesus Christ afterwards. Keep that in mind. As far as I'm concerned, nothing better than being a slave to Christ. You ever heard of a slave master dying for his slaves? Mm-hmm. Taking him to himself, loving them with an unbreakable eternal love. So Jesus is. So our faithfulness in his life will determine pastor's faithfulness in preaching the word and doing all that God has called him to do will determine his place of responsibility in the um, kingdom on earth 
And I imagine that will, I believe that will carry on even into the eternal aspect of the kingdom uh, as we reign for all eternity. Once this, we have the new heaven and new earth, then that will conti- continue. So these three real- realities serve to motivate Timothy, Timothy and should motivate all pastors. The fact that all black uh, believers will give account of their lives and service should be an impetus to loyal service to the Savior, right? Hmm. So we've seen these three motivations in verse 1. Now we come to verse 2. Uh, we see the charge. See it. Verse 2. Preach the word. Preach the word. That's the charge. That's the order. And this is the first of a series of imperatives to Timothy and all pastors. Commands. We're commanded to preach the word. Preach means to herald. It's what the original term means. A herald publicly proclaimed the message given to him by the one who sent him. Pastors are called, equipped, and sent by Christ to declare the message that Christ has given them. They're to herald the message publicly, Christ's message. They are proclaim what Christ has told them to do in the word of God. They're to proclaim his message, not their own. No pastor has any business preaching his own sermon, his own message. When he stands behind the sacred desk, he is to preach the word. He is to let God speak. You don't muzzle God. You don't gag him. You open your mouth as a pastor and you say this is what God said this is what Christ says you have to do like the, uh, my wife told me about uh, her sister related to a story of an incident where they had gone to hear this preacher preach and he got up and he opened his mouth and he wasn't preaching the word and my wife's sister got up sister got up and other people got up and they left because a man wasn't preaching the word of God I said those are smart people Martin Luther remarked, quote, the pulpit is the throne for the word of God. End of quote. That's what this is. It's the throne. For, the word rules. The word rules. Now we preach the word. Notice something. The word. Here when it says that. The word refers back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness. All scripture is inspired. The word inspired, the original language means God breathed. God breathed it out. He is the one who caused it to come into being. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 is the definitive statement on the nature of scripture and its usefulness. So let me just give you a little uh, litany of the significance of the word why we preach it. Why preachers called to preach the word. We preach the word because it is of divine origin. It came into being because God willed it so. It's unique. There's no book in human history like the Bible. There are other so-called religious books, but they're all of human origin. This book is of divine origin. It stands alone. It's sui generis. That is, it is unique. It's a class all by itself. There's nothing like it. 
It is therefore supremely authoritative because it comes from the highest authority in the universe, God himself. So we preach it. Pastors are to preach the word because it is profitable or useful for the spiritual life and growth of believers. That's what 3.16 of 2 Timothy says. The word of God has power to save sinners. 3.15 of uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy. It has the ability to sanctify former sinners. It sanctifies us. Uh, this is what it does. Let me give you some additional uh, things the scripture does. It strengthens, equips for service, matures, deepens believers' understanding of God and his ways, renews the mind, comforts, confronts, encourages, delights, stimulates joy, hope, and courage. Those are just some of the things it does. In fact, it works in those who believe, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. That's why you're different. You hear a priest or you read it, you hear it taught, and what is it doing? It's working in you. And you're becoming different, you're being transformed. That's why we preach the word. Preach the word, the command is preach the word. Pastors are commanded to preach the word because it is the only word they are authorized to preach to God's people. I am not authorized to preach to you anything else. Preaching the word, uh, I've given you some positive things. Let me tell you something, excludes. Excludes giving personal opinions. I have some. It excludes entertaining people. <laughs> you know, you think that's kind of new. It isn't. In fact, Martin Luther talked about that during the Reformation period, the 1600s. People wanted to be entertained. I'm amazed at that. He said when he preaches best sermon on justification by faith alone, people would get sleepy. And you thought that was just us. <laughs> not to entertain people entertainment can't sanctify you entertainment can't help you when you're going through a trial when you're going through difficulties you need the word you don't need to be entertained you need to hear from God what he can do and what he's done you need to be strengthened by his truth you don't need nonsense if you don't believe that just live a little while and you're going to find out how important the word of God is in your life when you face the trials of life and the troubles of life and the sorrows of life and all of that. You're going to be glad you weren't entertained, but you'll be glad that you were edified. Amen. What else is excluded? Politics. Politics. Who wants to hear it? Because usually people and guys in pulpits they have various beliefs and who needs it i need to hear the word of god right Amen. someone said this quote do not they don't come to church they said to hear a commentary on the latest political issues in america they continue we can turn to the cable news networks for that or go to a town hall meeting so that's what you want that's where you go you can get all of that you want. 
What we want when we come to church is, this person said, we want to hear a prophetic ministry that prefaces the sermon with the words, thus saith the Lord. In other words, I want to hear what God says, a divine word, not man's, a word from the creator, not the creature. A lot of creatures have a lot of things to say. I want to hear what the creator has to say. He has a definitive word, the definitive truth. And so we preach the word, but we also, as we do that, we're to be ready. That's another imperative. This imperative is for the pastor preacher to be prepared to be in readiness to preach the word. He is to be like a soldier who is ready to go into battle on a moment's notice. Preach the word. Isn't that interesting? That's what he is to do, preach the word. I, I imagine even that would include being out of the pulpit, preach the word. And you notice in the text, he used to be ready in season and out of season. What that means is when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient. When it is welcomed and when it is unwelcomed. Regardless of the life situation, be ready to preach. It's what God wants, what Christ wants for his people. Now, what is preaching involved? Oh, now it gets sticky because preaching involves some imperatives here that can create some discomfort and this discomfort makes people want to look to somebody who will just smile at them and tell them everything is going to be okay God wants you happy and healthy and wealthy is that what real preaching is about I don't think so here's the text this is what is to be done. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. These are three imperatives or commands. The first two are negative and the last one is positive. The negative character is due to human sinfulness. Even the last one positive is related to the same. These are necessary for Christian spiritual life. We need to be reproved, do we not? We need to be rebuked and we need to be exhorted. We need all three of those in our Christian life. Reprove. It recalls 3.16. And the word reproof there, 2 Timothy 3.16. Sin is to be brought to light, exposed in the believer's life by means of biblical argument misbehavior that is behavior is not consistent with the word of God and false teaching is to be exposed by the word of God in the life of a believer so that they can be corrected now get this thought Christ does not want his people continuing in sin he wants their sin to be addressed he wants his people to get out of sin. He saved you from the penalty of sin, but he's also, and the one way he is doing that is by the function of reproof that comes from the word of God, which is an argument from the Bible about the sinfulness of our sin, our sin and how we need to turn from it. The next word is rebuke. It's to bring the erring, erring person to repentance. The sinfulness of the sinner is disclosed and we see our sin and we have to say, okay, I've got to stop that. I can't live like that. I can't do that. Christians, by the way, are always repenting. 
Did you not know that? You repent when you came to Christ. You repent of your sins. But then you, all your sin, you will sin still. You will still sin. You have to still repent. Let me tell you what happened. In Revelation 2, chapter, second chapter, verses 1 through 7, Christ called the church at Ephesus to repentance. Did, it, did he not? Repentance. So, the sinner... Bring the erring person to repentance. The sinfulness of the sinner is disclosed, and he can turn from it. Then there's the word exhort, parakalao, is the word in the original means to come alongside. After there has been reproof and rebuke, then the coming alongside of the disobedient believer, the faithful preacher, then what he will do is encourage spiritual change, say, you can do it God's way. You have the Holy Spirit live within you. You have the Word of God available to you. You have prayers of the saints for you. You can do the will of God. And notice something. With great patience and instruction, this is to be done. Why great patience? Because we're dealing with sinful people. And you know in your own life that you didn't just stop your difficulty, your sin, on the first time. I said, well, you, you found yourself doing that again, did you, right? Y'all don't want to shame the devil this morning, do you? <laughs> and we're to instruct that it's from the word of God. So we have to patiently do that, patiently do that. Persist in doing that. And why is that? That's so good. I'm going to tell you why. Why the pastors be patient? Because God is patient with us. Isn't he patient? He's very patient with us. The word of God is the means by which, of course, he saves sinners. And it's also how he works in the life of the believer to convict them and bring them to repentance and restoration. That's why the profound importance here the command preach the word the charge preach the word for its effect in the life of believers and the spiritual good that comes from it so the order to preach is followed then by the urgency to preach the urgency to preach here's why it's urgent for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine there is an urgency to preaching and teaching the word of God because as the apostle explains there's going to be a loss of opportunity there will be people who will say I don't want to hear it anymore there are people sitting in churches "Ah, I I don't want to hear any more of that I want any more sound doctrine don't want any more reproof rebuke now you may wonder who who is the they who are they Uh, the they it's there in verse 3 refers to nominal Christians that is Christians in name only they profess to be followers of Christ but they do not savingly possess him they are described by our Lord Jesus in the parable of the sore as those who have no root in themselves. The word of God has not taken root in their heart, producing fruit. They're superficial believers. They're nominal believers. They're just believers on the outside, but there's been no internal change. There is no real salvation. So the time will come when they said, I'm done. I'm done. 
and they walk away from where the word is preached they don't want to hear that they will not endure sound doctrine the word time time here doesn't refer to chronological uh, time but periods of time Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 Paul earlier wrote to him in his last epistle but realize this that in the last days difficult times will come last days difficult times difficult perilous or dangerous times grievous times seasons of danger are coming in the last days and we're in the last days people say are we in the last days yes we've been in the last days since Jesus came y'all thought it was it began in 1940 something no the last days began when Jesus came and so we're living in that time period between his first and second coming called the messianic times that's the those last days is also called in first john 2 18 the last hour also a later here the later times that's another phraseology for it it's all it's the same thing the last days last hour later time all refer to the time between christ's first and second comings we're in the last days messianic times i just mentioned a moment ago we're there and during this this period of time that we're living in there are those who are nominal christians christians in name only they will not willingly hear or listen to sound doctrine they don't want it they're done sound that word in the original hugianio and it is the word from which we get our word hygiene it means healthy sound or healthy doctrine or teaching teaching that produces spiritual health doctrine does sound doctrine saves and sanctifies And sound doctrine is what is to be delivered from a pulpit or Bible study or a, from a teaching lectern sound doctrine because of its immense capability to bless and build up and nourish and strengthen the saints. Sound doctrine. But those who do not want it, those who are not believers, they can only hold out so long. And Paul warned Timothy about those individuals they will reject sound doctrine instead they will receive they will look for somebody that will tickle their ears they want to have their ears tickled they crave teachers who suit their ideas they're looking for Bishop Bogus (laughs) Reverend Dr. Tickle me they want teaching that will not confront them in their sinful lifestyle they don't want to be convicted they, they don't want to be reproved or rebuked they, they don't want to have to change spirit they don't want any of that they just want some religion I, I, they just want to go to church and hear something's going to make them feel good entertain me and when I leave I'm feeling great about myself I'm really wonderful because that preacher told me 
and God is so proud of me. Really? And my blessing is just around the corner. Really? So they accumulate for themselves, the text says, teachers in accordance, accordance with their desires. Teachers, plural, they heap them up. They handpick them for themselves. Men, and nowadays women, who differ from Timothy and his sound doctrine or teaching and others who are like Timothy, who are in that long line of men who are standing firm to preach the truth of the word of God. And there are always people that are available to meet the need. If there's a market for it, there will be suppliers. Marvin Vincent writes, quote, If people desire a calf to worship, a ministerial calf maker is readily found. End of quote. Always find somebody that will do that. I'm going to tell you all something. Y'all thought that was new, the 20th century. And in the... uh, Um, 21st century no Jeremiah chapter 5 Jeremiah chapter 5 is eye opening enlightening instructive Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 31 first let's listen to verse 30 I can never read this Without reading verse 31, Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31, listen to the word of God. Look what it says. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land, the land of Judah. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And notice the last line, and my people love it so. Well, that wasn't the last line, the rest of it. But what will you do at the end of it? false prophets and there are people who love that it's true then it's true now people they won't say lie to me but that's what they want and the scripture is clear in 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 but the spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons fall away from the faith. You know why they fall away from the faith? You know why they apostatize? Is why they abandon the position they claim to hold? Is because they never really had saving faith. And they start listening to men who are the agents of demons spewing lies and they say, ah, oh, yes, they pay attention to that. It's what unbelievers who profess to be Christians but aren't will do. So as we uh, come to close here, we're about done. Verse 4, 2 Timothy 4. And we'll turn away their ears from the truth and we'll turn aside the myths. Turn away from the truth, that is the knowledge of truth. God's redemptive truth, which deals with sin and damnation and with the necessity of interchange. I don't want that. I don't want to deal with my sin. don't want to deal with any of that. I don't want to be changed. Just leave me alone. Let me be religious. Myths. Speaks of things that aren't true. In fact, interestingly enough, in the original text, 
Paul uses definite articles article is the myths to specify particular myths associated with false teaching it's what they want don't give me any truth don't give me God's truth redemptive truth truth that deals with sin and righteousness don't give me that give me some stuff you just made up that's what I want especially the kind that's going to promise me I'm going to be rich Let me conclude. Someone said this. In these days, the church so desperately needs men who will not play at preaching, but who will preach the word, the whole word, and nothing but the word. By the grace of God, that's what we'll always do here. We're going to preach the word. If people want to show, they want to be entertained, they want to be lied to, don't come here not doing that as they say I'm not playing that we're going to do it Christ's way and all who love Christ want it that way let's bow together in prayer God our Father we bless you and thank you for your word it's power it's life changing power it's comfort for the believer the joy of our hearts as Jeremiah found as others have found I did eat your word it caused me to rejoice thank you for the privilege of uh, opening it and hearing it continue to strengthen your people and we pray for any in this room who's without Christ they've not come to faith in the savior of sinners pray you save them Pray for those who need a church home where they may grow, where they can be exposed as part of this fellowship to sound doctrine. They'll come here as well. We pray these things for your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen.